Please open your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. Verses were read there earlier. We will state verse 16 as we begin this morning. Our theme is wise and blameless. Wise and blameless. And in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Father, once again, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon our minds and hearts that we would hear the word of the Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we look at this passage and a number of other scriptures this morning, I want us to consider something, that for over 200 years, America has been under the strong influence of Judeo-Christian worldview. We could spend all day talking about that. It's undeniable. The incredible impact, we take it so for granted, we, we probably don't even think about how the laws of our land and so many of the things that we have done and stood for through the years are rooted in Old and New Testament teaching. But that is now radically changing. The secularists and the God-haters are winning the cultural wars. I don't want to surprise you, but that's happening. Not only that, but they're smelling blood. For example, a Harvard Law professor says that Christians are losers in the culture war and should be treated like Germany and Japan after World War II. His quote is this, they've already lost the war. For liberals, the question is how to deal with the losers in the cultural wars. That's mostly a question of tactics. My own judgment is that taking a hard line, you lost, you live with it, is better than trying to accommodate the losers. Trying to be nice to the losers didn't work well after the Civil War. And taking a hard line seemed to work reasonably well in Germany and Japan after 1945. Those kinds of attitudes are growing by leaps and bounds. There are many in the political world who agree with the statement that has been stated abroad in this election cycle, quote, deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to be changed. Translated meaning that Christians must give up their views about marriage and about abortion, just for starters. So there are many anti-Christian values that are on the rise in America, and there are many anti-historical Christian values that are not directly related to uh, a biblical worldview necessarily. For example, the Second Amendment is a strong historical American value. The right for citizens to bear arms. Many would like to see citizens relieved 
of all of their arms. And so all across America, high-powered weapons are leaving the shelves in rapid numbers. People are stockpiling incredible amounts of weapons and ammunition. And it's not to go hunting deer or bison. And I was reading a fellow who has a nationwide ministry. He's been a pastor. He's not a pastor at this point. But uh, he was talking about all that. And he said, it's no use for you to go out and buy these things if you don't plan to use them. And it's going to become illegal. And if you plan to back up just because it's going to be illegal, you cannot strike a blow for liberty. I'm keeping mine, legal or not. And he plans to use it if necessary. Here's my question. Is saving America, is saving cultural values, or saving our earthly lives, the Christian's primary calling? How far should we go? How do we apply Matthew 10:16? Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Now, I'm going to raise some questions today, and I'm not going to. You, you can come at me with some with some questions, and there's a lot of things that I can't answer, and there's some things where we'll be all over the map, and we need to give each other some space. But what I want us to do is, I want us to understand that the Word of God says what it says. And we best make sure that when we're discussing these things that we don't say, well, yes, but. We need to get on our face before God and say, now, Lord, this is your word. What does it say? And, Lord, how in the world am I supposed to apply it in a way so that when I stand before you on judgment day, I'll hear, well done, because nothing else matters. We may be at a time when we more deeply need to understand Matthew 10, 16 than we've ever have been before. I found a quote from the 1600s by a Puritan named Thomas Watson that I found helpful to get us thinking, what does this mean to be harmless as doves and wise as serpents? He brought up Daniel. In Daniel 5.14, they said of of Daniel that excellent wisdom is found in you. Here is the prudence of the serpent. In Daniel 6.4, the administrators and the princes began to search to find some fault in the way he was handling affairs. They couldn't find anything to criticize him about. Because he was faithful and honest and always responsible. Now remember, he's living in a pagan culture. And he's having a godly impact in a pagan culture. And his weapon was to be wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Look at Paul in Acts 23. 
when Paul recognized that some of the members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees, he said, brothers, I'm a Pharisee, as were my ancestors. And he knew that this would get the Pharisees on his side. The wisdom of the serpent. And in verse 1, he says, I have always lived before God in all good conscience. He maintained the innocence of the dove. He did not compromise godliness in order to be effective, in order to survive, in order to live and function as a Christian in a hostile environment. James chapter 3 Verse 16 puts wisdom and meekness together. Who is a wise man among you and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good life or good lifestyle or good conduct his works with meekness of wisdom. Isn't that interesting? With meekness of wisdom. Wisdom here is the serpent. We don't normally think about a serpent in any good terms. But the Lord does. And the meekness of the dove. So Thomas Watson said, We must have innocence with our wisdom, else our wisdom is but craftiness. We must have wisdom with our innocence, lest our innocence be but weakness. We must have the innocence of the dove that we may not harm harm others. We must have the wisdom of the serpent that others might not harm us. In short, innocence without wisdom is too weak to be safe. Wisdom without innocence is too subtle to be good. None of this is a guarantee that you won't become a martyr for Jesus Christ. So Jesus sends out his wise serpents, his wise as as serpents and harmless as doves army into the hot spots of the world. I'm sending you there, armed with the gospel, filled with the Spirit. Equipped with the whole armor of God. But no earthly swords. No earthly weapons. Because he said, I'm not sending you out to fight flesh and blood. I'm sending you out as those who are filled with love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and self-control. I'm sending you out with the gospel. They're going to treat you like they treated me. And I'm sending you out with the whole armor of God, an armor that is not your typical armor. Turn to 
First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. I'm going to read this from the NIV. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, you should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. For the time for judgment to begin with the family of God, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel? It is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. I've always been intrigued that in the context of writing to Christians who are in the severest persecution, who are losing life and limb at the hands of the enemy, at the hands of God-haters, Christ-haters, that nowhere, either here nor nowhere in Acts or any of the epistles or the book of the Revelation, does the Holy Spirit ever call upon Christians to fight their battles with earthly weapons of destruction? Now, you say, well, in the real world where I live, you have to do some of that. So what are you going to do when somebody comes to your house and wants to kill and rape your children? What are you going to do when someone comes into this building or if they come into this building? And is it not true that as a church you agreed to have certain men who, have, it's all legal with the state and, and, and it's all set up and they're not looking to do any harm to anybody but they carry concealed weapons so if there is a problem, they can be a part of the solution. Yes, all that's true. But how do we fit this in? How do we fit in the fact that nobody in the New Testament is set forth as an example of trying to save their life by taking somebody else's. You say, well, we wouldn't have America. Oh, how could, I understand. We live in a fallen world. There will be wars and rumors of wars. I understand all that. But my message, uh, the message I'm getting from the Scripture is, what is my focus what is my purpose? Does God have me here to be primarily concerned about seeing how long I can live on this earth? No matter what it costs. 
Does God have us as Christians here to see how long we can hold to American traditions and government and the freedoms we have no matter the cost? I'm just asking questions. And all I'm saying in response is, as I read the Scripture, you and I had better look carefully and see what is to be our focus because in the Scripture and for 2,000 years, the church has been primarily built not by those who defended their life, but by those who laid down their lives. The blood of the martyrs has been the lifeblood and the growth of the church, the seed of the church. This doesn't sell well. I don't like it. I'm human like you. You may not be like me. Sometimes I'll read all the headlines and all this stuff, and it's almost like, man, I wish I could be like Superman. I'd go out there and zap, 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 and the world would be a lot better place tomorrow. I could get rid of all these people in one snap if I could just have that power. Am I the only one who ever thinks that way? The only problem with that is I'd be left. And it wouldn't be long to the wickedness of my heart or the wickedness of your heart. And we'd have to go all over again. For man does not know the way of peace. And in this world, Jesus has said, there's going to be trouble and trial and tribulation and wars and rumors of wars, and the world's going to be waxing worse and worse. And in the middle of that world, there's somebody totally different who's not at home here. Whose home is in heaven. And whose business is to so live that others will get there too. Jesus sends his church, you and I as individuals, out to where the trouble is. The hot spots of the world where you and I right now are in our workplace. Our lost neighbors are getting those hats in the right order. Loving your spouse. Discipling your children. Protecting your children from the incredible. The education system of America has been designed has been designed to dumb down Americans. And so, the comedians understand that. I happen to see a clip. Well, they have found out that the, this great new savior insurance plan that all of Congress told us was going to be great, now the, the premiums are tripling, doubling, way up. Is that a good thing? Oh, yes, that's a good thing. I think it's doing well. Do you think it should go up some more? Oh, yes, I think it should go up some more. I'm not making this up. 
people actually said that. Person after person after person. Don't have a clue. And many people in America, in the pulpits and the pews and out in the streets, don't have a clue that what really matters is where your soul spends eternity. Do you and I, are you and I focused in the right place? He sends us out into the hot spots of the world. I'm just going to summarize the fact that over in the book of Revelation, and and one of the things that we need to understand in the middle of all this that seems so out of control, but it's not out of control. One of the most encouraging things that you find in in the book of Revelation is that Jesus, as the Lamb, has won the victory, and he sits at the control center of the universe, and he opens seals. He decrees the unfolding. Man sows and reaps and has consequences, but the Lord rules and overrules. The Lord is carrying out all of his good purposes. He will accomplish all of his goodwill. He will never have to wring his hands and say, oh, I wanted to do this, but I couldn't. Sovereign God accomplishes all of his good purposes. Not at the expense of you and I doing stupid and dumb things and having to pay the consequences. He's ordained sowing and reaping. In ways that I cannot understand. Can you imagine Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and said, I I would have done this and I would have done this, but you would not. Clearly showing man's in that case, the Jews' responsibility, they were in trouble because of their own doing. And our world is in trouble because of its own doing. And did not Jesus come, to back, come back to the earth to intervene? As Jesus says in Matthew 24, all earth, all, all life on earth would be destroyed. But it's not going to be. Jesus is building his church out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and people. And since that's what he's doing, Shouldn't that be what we're about? And should we not be as John Payton when he went into the Hebrides um, among the headhunters and and among those whose paws and arrows never missed and when they hit, you died. But he was compelled to take the gospel to them. And he went with this belief deep in his soul. I am invincible until God calls me home. We don't have to busy ourselves about saving our lives. If I'm walking with the Lord and I'm carrying carrying out His commission, the Great Commission says, I am with you to the end of the age. And how long you live will not depend on your smarts and how many weapons you've got stacked in your house, but whether or not you and I are busy accomplishing His work. And therefore, there's a reason for Him to leave us here until that work is done. Why should he leave some of us here? We're not busy about kingdom work. Why should he protect us? Why has he been so merciful to us? We're not exercised for the souls of men. We're not exercised for the building of the body of Christ. 
world that seems to be going wild. The Lamb rules and overrules. He opens the seals. He controls things. The Spirit of God, through the Word of God, is reminding us that the Lord Jesus Christ stands above all things that are happening as a lamb who is slain, as a lamb who is worthy. And he is carrying out his purposes and he will build his church. He was found worthy to take the scroll and the seals and, and, and to open them. For you were slain and by your blood you've ransomed men for God out of every kindred tongue, people, and nation. Focus on our focus needs to be on the Lamb, on Jesus. He has not turned the world over to Satan. He is right on schedule. He won't make any mistakes. And throughout the years, in, and throughout places even on the face of the earth today, in some of the most difficult places where the price for being a Christian is very steep, the Lord Jesus builds his church. And in the Revelation you find that those people who became martyrs for Christ live all eternity with no regrets, worshiping and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not telling us to withdraw. He's not telling us to build a barracks and try to save ourselves and isolate ourselves from the world. He's not telling us to be like the masses going about blindly buying and selling and, and, and oblivious and don't tell me reality. I don't want to see reality. Let, take me to the game. Not saying anything wrong going to the game, but if that's all you live for, there's a problem. They're going to deliver you up as they have delivered others up. Jesus said, put you to death. You'll be hated for my name's sake. It's one thing to be hated because you stand for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's another thing to be hated because you're trying to save American traditions. And then maybe they're good traditions. What is that for which Jesus would want us to lay down our life? The gospel of the crucified, risen Lord. We're to spread this good news beyond our inner circle to the ends of the earth. Don't just send a missionary, be a missionary. That's God's calling to us. Behold, I send you out as sheep into the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men. You know what today is? Or for some people it will be tomorrow. It is the 500th anniversary the 500th anniversary of one of the greatest events in all of church history since New Testament times. This is Reformation Sunday. Today. In 1517, Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the door at Wittenberg in Germany. What a price 
the reformers paid. What a price many of the Anabaptists paid. With imprisonment and shed blood. Or else we wouldn't have this Bible in our language. We wouldn't have the doctrines of grace abundantly everywhere. The history of the church is a history of suffering, trial, trouble, persecution. And the history of the church has gone forward as there have been men and women whose focus was on God, on the Lamb, and on spreading the gospel, not on saving their lives. Did they try to be as harmless as doves and and, and wise as serpents? You bet. And there's all kinds of stories of Christians uh, helping other Christians to hide and, and, and so forth, not because they wanted to be kept and see how long they could live, but because they wanted to be able to give the gospel another day in another place. A great cloud of witnesses shouts to us, Jesus Christ and his gospel is worth dying for. See, the focus of our society is I need to protect myself and I need to protect those that I love so we can see how long we can live. And if you're trying to take my life, I'm going to take yours first. I cannot sit here and tell you that there's never a place for that. I'm not going to debate that with you. But I can tell you that in this Bible, the New Testament, and for 2,000 years of church history, we are here today with the gospel because there is a line of witnesses before us whose passion was not to survive, but whose passion was to live and to spread the gospel no matter what it costs. For them, Jesus was worth dying for. Do you want to know why we don't get too excited about living for Jesus? We don't believe he's worth dying for. And if you don't believe, and if I don't believe he's worth dying for, I'm not going to live for him. We live in houses, drive cars, have families, we love our children, we enjoy our food, we rejoice in the sunshine and the blue sky, and at the same time, the Spirit of God floods us with the life of heaven. And if we're listening, he will teach us to be detached. To be detached from the treasures and the blessings of this life. Because the lasting treasure we have is beyond this life. Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Whoops. You said, did, he, did Jesus mean that? And Luke 12, 32 through 37, he goes on some other things. Well, if he tells you to do so, do it. And until he tells you to do so, enjoy them. Use them for kingdom business. Don't be proud or arrogant. As 1 Timothy 6, 17 and, uh, 16 and 17 says, be rich in good works. 
But if he tells you to sell them, sell them. He was Dennis Morris. Sold everything he had. Moved to Spain. And people have done that for years. The issue is, am I about kingdom business until Jesus comes? Or am I focused on planning a way of escape or planning to kill somebody before they kill me? Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. May God help us to go forward out into our world just like that. If you're here and you've never come to faith in Christ, Jesus Christ came to this earth and laid down his life, became the sinner's sin bearer, the sinner's substitute. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All are in need of a Savior. The only Savior is Jesus Christ. Repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Father, have thine own way in our hearts. Ring this scripture in our mind and hearts. Let us run the issues of our life through these scriptures, through the grid of these scriptures, lest we take up the attitude of the world, lest we quickly justify something that we should not so quickly justify lest we miss the focus that we should have. Oh, Father, we owe such a great debt today to those who've gone before us, whose one passion, whether they lived or whether they died, was to extend the gospel, to stand for the gospel, to sacrifice for the gospel, even to die for the gospel's sake committing the keeping of their souls into the hands of the Father. May this be our passion. And for this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.